This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Obviously, both teams were a little more disappointed tonight. Not as many power plays with scrums happening. That's usually the case. Both teams are trying to set the tone there in the first game, and then you know you realize that you got to go out and play high percentage and be disciplined. So both teams were a little smarter in that aspect, and it's probably going to have to continue. We got to stay out of the box. They got a pretty dynamic power play, so we don't want to give them any extra looks by being undisciplined. That guy had himself a game. Wow. Yes, Brian McDonough. He was incredible last night. And uh, we'll talk about maybe this theme that's popping up for the first two games. Very similar from what I thought, obviously, last year during the Stanley Cup run, but in the Stanley Cup finals against Dallas. I, I want to throw this to Dave and obviously to our audience at Bolts Radio weigh-in. Of course, I am Greg Linnelli, along with Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick is our producer. It's one hour of Hockey Talk, which we do the day after games, typically. Uh, and broad... day of games. And day of Cubs, you're right. Yeah, Monday right. through Friday. That's right, Monday through Friday. No guests, that's what I meant to say. No guests, typically, oh, okay. the day after we like to break it all down. Uh, general overview, Dave, and then we can get into some specifics. And what I may say makes... May make some Lightning fans a little uncomfortable. Maybe even some Panther fans a little uncomfortable. But you know what? I, I think that's we what have you to be, do. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable at times <laughs> yes. in our lives. I think that's okay. I think Eric Rowanson used that line in his. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, he got today. that from me. Now, if he didn't give me credit for it, we're going to have a problem <laughs> because I'm telling you right now, nobody uses that terminology. You are a playoff um, performer. You are comfortable <laughs> being uncomfortable. I love it. I love it. Um, Florida's in trouble. And Florida's in trouble, not because they can't win a couple of games in this series, Dave. They may even win three. But I'm looking, and you know how I am about math, I'm looking at the mathematics of this. You go down 0-2. I think Phil said this to you on the post game. It resonates, It and it hits, it hits home. Do you really think you're going to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning with this team, with Nikita Kucherov, four out of the next five games? I, it can be done. And Florida, as we have said before, is a team who's very talented. And if maybe there's a team that can do it, it could be them. But practically speaking, and I want to be fair, and I would say this if Tampa Bay was down 0-2. That's a tough, tough mountain to climb. I think Florida, while they haven't played poorly in this series, Tampa Bay has been better. And they, they've got some problems here. And being down 0-2 to the defending Stanley Cup champs who they they have Kucherov back. And Kucherov has made an impact in these two games. I mean, he really has. Didn't have, obviously, the goals last night. But we'll get into the play he made on the Pilat goal, which was something, Dave, I know you had mentioned. Vassis was dialed in last night. He was sharp. You know, didn't have to make a ton of of tremendous saves, but he was dialed in. And again, a theme that I'd like to come back to, and this is what separates Tampa Bay from a lot of teams, you know, their star players have been a bit better than the Panthers' star players. You know, Stamkos, Kucherov, Vasi, and even their guys like McDonough, who had a big game last night defensively. You know, Braden Points, again, is finding another gear. Look, there, there were some negatives last night for sure, and we'll, we're going to talk about them. This team's got to shoot when you have odd man rushes. I mean, the Panthers were serving it on a, a platter for them to to really take control, even more so in that first period than what the score indicated, being up 2 nothing. They didn't, and maybe that's something they'll learn from. Who knows? But big picture, Dave, being down 0-2 to this Lightning team with Kucherov back, now going back to Amelie Arena. I mean, again, even if they just split, that's a tough, tough task for any team to come back on the Lightning. And I give credit to the Lightning for winning two games on the road in a hostile environment, and they've really made it tough on the Panthers to get back into the series. Well, I'll address the math question first. And if you look in league history, the math is on your side, Greg, and it's on the Lightning side because teams that go up 2-0 in a series, particularly if they win the first two on the road, have a very high winning percentage to take the series. What I will say contrary to that is, first of all, a lot of that sample size 
happened when there was far less parity in the league. So when the talent disparity really had a an impact on determining which team would win, which team would lose the series, a lot of those teams that went up 2-0, probably more so at home if they were the higher seed, did close out the series. I think we've seen more comebacks from 0-2 down kind of since we've seen more parity in the league. So just be aware of that. And the other part is that what the Panthers are going to look at is they're not looking at winning four or five and the enormity of that challenge. They're looking at winning game three. They're looking at winning one game. And you don't play the five games all at once. You play one game at a time, and the Lightning still have to find a way to win two of those individual games at some point moving forward in the series. So I'm not disagreeing with with your math equation your your math illusion here or or example um but i think that it's more than that like the lightning have to treat game three just as seriously as the panthers are going to treat game three and while the capitals won that series in 2018 let's not forget i mean the lightning did win games three four and five in that series after losing the first two at home and had a chance to take the series we remember them losing games six and seven, but they won the middle three games in the series after losing the first two at home. So I'm willing to reserve judgment until we get more games in the series and the picture becomes more clear. But there is no doubt the Lightning have put themselves in a very advantageous position based on their ability to win the first two games. Now, last night's game. This was a strange game. And I'm saying it's a strange game because I think the easy the easy takeaway from last night's game, I was reading some of the recaps this morning and even, even some of the post-game comments from, from the players followed this line of thinking, was that game one was kind of the an anomaly because it was wide open, lots of scoring chances, high scoring, 5-4, lots of special teams, etc. Game two was more playoff-like in that it was lower scoring, not as many penalties, a lot was let go. I mean, I heard the Ryan McDonough clip that that we played at the start of the show where McDonough said, you know, the teams wanted to stay away from penalties. And I think it's true that the teams stayed away from the post-whistle stuff, particularly the Lightning. But there was a lot of obstruction going on in that game that in a regular season game would be called wasn't called last night, and we can say, well, maybe it is because it was the playoffs. And I guess that that is consistent with how we see a lot of playoff games played. But that was that was a game where there were plays made that could have been called penalties, but I think the officials set a tone fairly early that they weren't going to. So I'm not disagreeing with any of that. I think all of that is true. Where where I differ is I'm not sure that I'm not sure that the Lightning were airtight defensively. And I'm not sure that there wasn't the possibility for that game to be just as high scoring as game one. And you mentioned the odd man rush chances the Lightning had in the first period. So this is the way I saw the first period. I think the Florida Panthers came into game two understanding we absolutely need this game. And we did a lot of good things five on five in game one. That's what they felt. And they had some strong moments in game one, five on five. And we're going to come out, and we're going to dictate the pace, and we're going to push the pace, and we're going to forecheck like crazy. And they did that in the first period last night. They had long, sustained offensive zone shifts where the Lightning really struggled to get the puck out. There was a shift. It was around the middle of the first period, Greg. The Panthers had the puck in the Lightning end for probably a minute. And then the Lightning had to ice the puck, and the group had to stay out there for an additional shift. We saw a lot of that in the first period, and that was born from the Panthers having this mindset of push, 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 aggressive, forecheck, try and steal pucks, long possession shifts. They had all of that in the first period, but they didn't get rewarded in part because I don't think they got as many pucks to the net as they normally would in a situation where they have that much possession time. And I don't think it really came out in terms of block shots. I felt the Lightning defended fairly well without the puck in the first period. So all that possession time did not translate 
to as many scoring chances as probably the Panthers would have hoped, with a couple of exceptions. Like Anthony Duclair had a great A fairly late in the period. That was Vasilevsky's best save in the first period. He got a piece of it with his glove. That was a feed from Lomberg, who's been really stirring the pot after whistles. This guy could play. I mean, he made a really good pass from behind the net, and Duclair was wide open right at the hash marks. Great save, Vasilevsky. But a byproduct of the Panthers being so aggressive was the Lightning got tons of counter chances. Tons of counter chances. Like, you just don't see that in a playoff game. Phil and I were speculating the Lightning probably had upwards of 10 odd man rushes in the first period. That may be a little generous, but it was definitely more than five. <laughs> like, it was probably between five and 10. And the Lightning's issue was they passed out of the vast majority of them. Now, they were trying to make a play, but like Chris Drieger, we were talking before we came on the air today, Greg, like is, is Quenville going to come back with Drieger for game three? And Quenville said, we haven't made a decision yet, et cetera, et cetera. Like Drieger played pretty well. I don't think you could fault him on either of the goals that he allowed, the empty net or he wasn't in the net for, but the Lightning didn't test him as much as they could have in that first period because so many of their odd man rushes didn't even result in a shot on net. Now, two of them did, and it wasn't really a rush, but Savard held the puck in at the blue line, and the Panthers, again, thinking aggressive, thinking we got to go on the counterattack. They had four guys caught up at the blue line. That's how Kalorn and Stamkos were able to get a two-on-one down low. That was the Panthers' fault. (laughs) Like, the Panthers were being over-aggressive and got out of position. And the point play... Like, that turned into an odd man rush. That's a fantastic play by Braden Point. I mean, Mackenzie Weger is right now, with Ekblad out, the number one defenseman for the Florida Panthers. He finished plus 29 this year. There was some chatter he may be up for Norris Trophy votes. That's the kind of year he had. Well, he didn't look Norris Trophy worthy there. Braden Point, he's had a tough series so far. But Braden Point absolutely undressed this guy. What a move. And he puts it off the post. Had he finished... I mean, that would have been one of the, the goals of the playoffs, I think. But Palat's there to grab the rebound and put it in. So they cashed in on two. Yanni Gord on a play that had Phil up in arms because I think Gord tried to pass it. On, I think that was a three-on-one. He kind of bobbled the puck because he didn't know what he wanted to do with it. But he eventually did get kind of a shot off. Drieger made a good save on that. Like, he got it with the top of his left pad. That was a chance. Sorelli on another one puts it off the crossbar. So that's four right there. Two goals, a save by Drieger, and a crossbar for Sorelli. I'm not even including the other ones that didn't result in in shot attempts. So, like, I look at that first period, Greg, and I'll get to the second and third in a second, but the first period, you could write, like, a chapter on the first period and everything that happened. Like, on the one hand, the Panthers had the bulk of the possession because they forechecked really well, and Duclair could have scored. Like, it could have been 2-1 or maybe even 2-2 coming out of the first period. But it also could have been 7-0 coming out of the first period. If the Lightning had had been even moderately more efficient in in converting on their chances that were glorious chances, glorious chances, the game would have been over after the first period. So you kind of had a feeling if you're the Lightning, like we left some plays on the table here and it's 2 nothing, but we could be up by more. And then it dried up in the second and third, and some of that might have been the Lightning kind of hunkered down defensively. The Panthers were maybe a little less aggressive. Like, Quinville had to reel them in. But that was not a first period that would make you say, boy, what a structured, tight defensive playoff game. Like, the narrative at the end of the game does not fit with what I saw in the first period. And I'll get to the second and third, but I, I didn't want to, talk for you know 30 straight minutes so like I mean did you clearly saw the odd man rush chances for the lightning in the first period I thought that that was a very unusual first period it was tie it back to we have talked about like will the Panthers collective playoff and experience be a factor and I don't know if it's this but a team that feels the urgency to win game two in the first period they were over-aggressive in the first period. And while it didn't lead to a 5 nothing or 6 nothing deficit, I think it did factor in to a 2 nothing deficit. 
And that's your ball game right there because the Lightning got their game-winning goal in the first period. They did. And, you know, I, I jotted down a couple of things, and you just talked about it. The Bolts had some problems in their own zone. I mean, early on, remember Jan Rutsa yes. gets blown up. It was Verhage, and, and that led to a Barkoff and Uyghur chance. And there were some other zone time possessions there that Florida did have where they didn't really generate enough offense, which was interesting because the Lightning did. They were running around in their own zone, but they didn't take advantage of it, meaning the Panthers. And then you talk about the odd man rushes that Tampa Bay had. So I think if you're Florida, I'm stating the obvious. You're down to nothing, but you're probably thinking, okay, we, we knew we wanted to come out and force the issue. It resulted in zone time. But not enough dangerous looks. In addition, the Lightning, had they had their act together going the other way, boy, we could have been down 4 or 5 nothing. Yeah. And so I think it was a really weird period. But I think it's a period where, for the Panthers, as weird as it may seem, their strategy probably backfired in many ways because they didn't generate enough well, offense. I think it did. Yeah, it didn't generate yeah, enough offense. Yeah, I think it offense. did backfire. And the Lightning had some opportunities going the other way. And to your point, in a postseason game, in a playoff game, you give the Lightning a 2 nothing lead with Vassie and Net, I'm not going to tell you you're going to win that every time, but there's a strong chance, Dave, you do. And in the third period, he had to come up with some really good saves late, especially. Yes. And that, And we again, can get to the second yeah, and third. Go ahead, go ahead. But you know what? If you're, if you're in a playoff game and you give up, let's say conservatively, seven odd man rushes in a period. If you give up seven, or we'll say outnumbered chances, because like the Kalorn stamp goes play, that wasn't quote-unquote off the rush but it was a two-on-one below the hash marks, right? If you're giving up seven of those looks to the opposition in a period, you are going to have a hard time winning a playoff game. Yeah, I would agree in with my that opinion. wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about that. And, you know, the second. let's get into the second period because I know you wanted to, yeah. to move on to the second and third Yeah, period. so in the second, things settled down. They did settle down, and really things were fairly quiet. The Lightning were not as dynamic in terms of attacking the offensive zone before they passed their way out of chances, and some of it was those odd man rush opportunities weren't there, but, but Phil made the point. The Lightning were still passing up shot attempts. They only had four shots in the second period in all, and when – What's weird also about the first period is the Lightning finished with 16 shots. I mean, they could add like 24, 25 if they just pulled yeah, the trigger sure. on some of those odd man right. rushes. So I'm not sure all of those 16 were were like glorious chances. But the the Lightning's ability to to create pressure and chances dried up in the second period. But they also got better at getting the puck out. So there was less sustained pressure from the Panthers kind of until the Panthers went on that power play. And, like, Ryan McDonough had a couple of blocks during that first Florida power play, which came past the halfway point of the second period. But it was on the shift, or maybe the second shift after the penalty ended, that Marchman did score. So now it's 2-1, to one, and the Panthers have some juice, they have some energy, and they try to make a push for the rest of the game. And here is where I think the Lightning did a, a good job. It wasn't perfect, but they did a good job of protecting a 2-1 to lead over the final, whatever it was, about 25, 25 and a half minutes. And what they did well, they blocked a lot of shots. They played the time and the score in the situation, so they weren't greedy. Like, I think there were a number of examples where, you know, getting pucks to the red line, getting it in deep. Even with the empty net, Kucherov had a play where... He didn't go for the open net. He made the safe play. He just got it down the ice rather than risking an icing. And there were instances like that, which which is really encouraging, and that was an important part for the Lightning to, to get this game across the finish line. There were also, in addition to the kill in the second period that was important for the Lightning, they were up 2-0 at that time, but they had two more kills in the third when it was 2-1. The penalty kill was outstanding. Now, during those two kills, there was one really good chance for Barkov. Vasilevsky made a blocker save through a Hornquist screen. And that was one of what I remember as four tremendous Vasilevsky saves in the third period. So, like, that's why I'm like, they did a, they did a reasonably good job defending. But even as they did a reasonably good job defending, they allowed 
to my recollection, in the third period alone, four tremendous chances. And Vasilevsky stopped all of them. The Barkov chance on the power play, that's a longer range shot, but it's through a screen and it's going into the upper corner. And Vasilevsky finds the puck and blockers it away. Then he made the save on Verhage, and I know you remember that one, where Barkov fed it across. And Verhage, like that's with about four and a half minutes left. Verhage is in a prime scoring position, and Vasilevsky was able to stop it. Coleman may have slightly affected the shot, too. He might have gotten a little stick on stick on Verhage, but that was a tremendous scoring chance. And it followed a turnover by the Lightning deep in their own end. And then during the sixth attacker before Yanni Gord scored, Hornquist had back-to-back shots right in front. That's four stops of the 13 Vasilevsky made in the third period that that immediately came to mind as, like, how did the Lightning win this game? It wasn't like they just completely locked it down and the Panthers had nothing going at all. And the players acknowledged that. Like, Vasilevsky came up with some really important timely saves to help the Lightning win this game. But, you know, if you go back to the first period, you might be like, well... If they'd done anything on on more of those odd man rushes, it's probably not two to one yeah. going into the third, and it's a completely different game. But that was the game that we had. They they didn't execute on those odd man rushes, and so it was two to one. And going into the third period, up a goal, as opposed to Sunday's game, where they had two really bad turnovers that led to to goals, and all of a sudden a three two lead became a four three deficit. This was a yeah. different third period. Like, the Lightning managed the game and the score and the time and the situation pretty well, understanding you have another team that is that is desperate. Like, the Panthers were pressing because they had to. They were down a goal. They needed to get the game tied. And the Lightning, I thought, managed that pretty well. Two big penalty kills in the third, and Vasilevsky provided those enormous stops when the Lightning had breakdowns. We've got uh, some other things to get to for sure. Weigh in on that first segment at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Can the Panthers realistically win this series down 0-2? What about the play of Nikita Kucherov through the first two games? And do you think Tampa Bay stays with 11-7? and We'll also get into Tampa Bay's depth at the forward position right now. And one player who looks like they're on the verge of possibly breaking out Some encouraging signs, I think, especially last night. We'll talk about who that player is when we return. Back after this, it's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. You know, our Tampa fans are true. You know, they've been supporting us since last year. and You know, our crowd usually, and uh, I can't wait for... Just to see him in the stand. I don't know how many fans we get next game, but, you know, whatever it is, I think our fans are going to be electric. And I'm sure just they're just excited to see some playoff hockey because they didn't get to watch any last year, but just on the TV. So I'm pumped for it. I think our team, our team's pumped to see our fans. They deserve this. I mean, every fan base around the league deserves this, that, you know, they didn't get to see their team play in the playoffs last year. So I think it's going to be electric in there, and uh, it's going to be amazing. You know, that's Pat Maroon, and this is something we always talk about X-Factors in a series. A lot of times it's on the ice. Dave, he's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linnelli, Steve Ersnick, producing here on Power Lunch. A lot of times it's on the ice. It could be, you know, injecting a new player in the lineup. Maybe he provides some energy. It it could be a big hit that develops that maybe changes the complexion of a game, Dave, or maybe a huge penalty kill. This is an X factor that's not on the ice. This is something off the ice. And I have to be I have to be very clear. I genuinely don't know how the Lightning are going to react with that many fans in the building. When I say that many fans in the building, let's face it, this is the most they've seen in their home building in over what, a year and a half. And even yeah. though it's only 37 37% capacity, I believe that was the number. 7,000 fans. 7,000 fans. Dave, I have tried to keep up with the other series going on around the league. And what I can tell you is that the general belief is that the crowds have been loud and incredible. Now, that's stating the obvious. But, and I'm, I'm saying this in a very positive way for the Lightning. Like, we know they feed off of their home crowd in a normal situation when it's packed. 
I wonder if they just ranch it up a couple of more notches because they haven't seen this. And that, eight, let's call it 8,000, 7,000, those fans, that they are going to be as loud as they possibly can be and maybe even rival if it's sold out in a normal year. I mean, we're not factoring that in. And look, maybe the Lightning get too ambitious and they do things they typically wouldn't. They go running around looking for hits, and we've seen that before, not from the and Lightning And maybe that factored in for the Panthers and it in could the first have been, period. Because everybody Although I didn't notice was, it as much in, in game no, one in the first We'd period. have to go back and look at it, but everybody that covered that series was talking about how loud the building was. And again, we have to have perspective. We're, we're probably looking at this in real time and, you know, recency biases as we have said before it, it's the the most recent game so that's the one we're going off of but I think it's fair to say that the lightning might be getting a bigger boost than we anticipate in a normal year having their crowd behind them just because these fans are are have been longing for something like this and and the players I'm very interested to see how this plays out yeah so we were not in Sunrise, we we no. did broadcast the first two games remotely. So it is harder to get a sense. I mean, we have the crowd noise getting piped through our headsets. But as Steve knows, I like that on the lower side of things. I don't know if Phil has it a little bit louder in, in his ears, although I guess it would be the same for both of us. But for the people who were there, the, the pretty consistent takeaway was that whatever it was, 9,000 fans plus, 9,500, sounded a lot louder than yeah. 9,500. And that's been fairly consistent in all of the buildings. John Cooper talked about it post-game last night, that it was different than the bubble. And the, the the players do feel the energy in the air. I think that was the word he used, energy. Like, there is energy in the air. There's a buzz in the air. And that does have a role to play in kind of contributing to the atmosphere for a playoff game. So hopefully the Lightning will use the energy of the Amelie Arena crowd tomorrow to productively fuel their game. Because you're right, like you don't want to cross the line and become overly aggressive, whether that's taking penalties because you're overly aggressive or getting out of position because you're overly aggressive. So that you're right, and that's going to be a lot of fun, I think, just to be in that building tomorrow with – that many fans and I we want to get that packed and kudos to the team that ends up allowing full capacity because I think that's going to be an amazing sight actually to witness but we'll take it right now with what we're getting and it, it should be a, a tremendous uh, opportunity I think for the Lightning honestly to build off of what they've already done through the first two games speaking of the first two games and I think if you're the Florida Panthers you're watching this pretty closely because the Lightning and their star players, I think, have been very good in this in this series. And, look, Kucherov's a big part of that. And he was the biggest X factor coming into the series because you didn't know what to expect. But if he got anywhere close to the level he performed at last year, Dave, the Panthers were going to have some problems because this wasn't the same team they were facing all year and especially the last two games of the regular season. And I think you can actually see that. It, it doesn't take Kucherov many plays to make an impact on the uh, the Palat goal. Kucherov gets the secondary assist day, but you had mentioned on the broadcast that, boy, what a play by Kucherov to get that break going. And he generates so much offense just going through him and his ability to be patient with the puck. Yeah, sometimes he's going to overpass. I think that's part of his game at this point. That's who he is. But more times than not, he's making plays most guys can't dream of. I think that's a scary proposition for the Panthers. They, It doesn't take Kucherov many plays to make an impact. When he does, it's, it's making a difference in this series, and that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Anthony Sorelli hasn't scored, and... We have talked about his struggles in the regular season. He had, what, nine goals. He's a guy that I think a lot of people feel can be a 20-goal scorer for this team. But we felt like, I think, heading into the playoffs that this is where Sorelli earns his money. I mean, he's a guy that plays physical, goes to the dirty areas, and has enough skill where he can chip in offensively more times than not. He's hitting crossbars, Dave. He's getting some chances. Typically when that happens, it doesn't always happen, but typically when it does, you're getting close. 
from filling the net. And sometimes we've seen if a guy is struggling and he fills the net one time, maybe the floodgates open, kind of like what we saw Yanni Gord, you know, last year when he was struggling, and then all of a sudden he ends up having a fantastic playoff run. I don't know if that's going to be the case with case with Sorelli, Dave, but I can tell you the line of Stammer, Kulorn, and Sorelli, I don't know if that's given him a little bit more life in his game, but he's getting chances. It's positive to see, and it, it provides that hopefully secondary scoring because I think that the Lightning have become a three-line team at least through the first two games, and I don't know how that's going to play out. Each series is different. Each year is different with how you attack uh, the playoffs. From where I sit, this is a team that's a three-line team at this point. That certainly can change. I don't mind it being a three-line team if you're getting some production from that Sorelli line, and it looks like, Dave, it could be coming because I, I, I liked what I've seen from him through the first two games. So let me start with Sorelli. I'm actually looking at the the box score today, and there was an assist change made. It must have happened earlier today because I didn't notice it last night. Wait, wait. There was a scoring change? That there doesn't happen in the NHL. Change, Come but on. This is, not, this is not a shocking scoring change because <laughs> I can understand why they went back and looked yeah. at it. So on the Stamkos goal, like I even said in the first segment, Savard stepped up and held the puck, and Sorelli was there too. And watching it live and even on the replay, it looked like Savard was the one who fed it to Kalorn. Yeah. But they actually changed the assist the assist and gave it to Sorelli. So I don't know who I feel better for or worse for because Savard had gotten his first point with the Lightning and now he had it taken away. But Sorelli had had the one assist in whatever, the last 23 regular season games, and he has been playing hard and playing well, so he gets rewarded with the assist. But I agree with you on Sorelli, and it is born from his tenacity on pucks. He's winning a lot more puck battles than he was earlier in his slump. I think that's feeding the rest of his game. And so that line was plus one last night. They were very responsible defensively, and that's a really good sign. So I agree with you. I think if Sorelli keeps playing the way that he is playing, he's going to get rewarded. And I guess I'm glad to see that he got rewarded with an assist. Keep in mind, like, Sorelli is at the right point, just a little bit inside the right point on that play to get the pass to Kalorn because he's the third forward and he's coming back. Yeah. So what does that tell you? Now, look, the, the puck left the zone. The Panthers had four guys up ice. So it still would have been potentially a four on three, but the Panthers didn't read the play well. Like in the original entry, Kalorn takes a shot, then misses the net. It might have been deflected and it hits off the boards and ricochets back toward the blue line. And the Panthers, the four players, are, are skating up ice. Nudavara, the defenseman, if you watch the replay, Nudavara, when the goal is scored, is like at the top of the circle. I mean, he left Strawman all by himself in front of the net. Yeah. Huberto is the next closest guy, I think, one of the forwards. And he's above the hash marks, too. But Sorelli is where he needs to be, right? Sorelli is coming back to make sure that if the puck leaves the zone... At the very least, the Lightning have three players coming back into the neutral zone. And so Sorelli kind of got rewarded for doing the right thing, but the Panthers didn't read that play well at all because when it came off the boards, you could kind of see that it was going to come to Sorelli and Savard. They were right there. And so probably if they had to do it over again, the Panthers would have been less aggressive. Certainly Nudavara wouldn't have been way up on the play like that. But be that as it may... Good work by Sorelli. He had another good game. I think he's had two good games so far in the series. I mean, he had two glorious scoring opportunities. The first was midway through yeah. the first period. He got past Gudis, and then, of course, the one we talked about, the the crossbar. crossbar. Yeah, And uh, that that's just good to see. You know, he's got to convert. And the reason why it's important, I want to go back to the second point I made. And I think, Dave, this, this can change year to year because it's hard to have four solid lines that can produce every game. I think the Lightning, one of the many advantages they had last year throughout the playoffs, in addition to their star players just being really good, and they were, and they were better than the Dallas Stars' best players, particularly in the Stanley Cup Finals. Remember, that was one of the, the talking points, at least I, I'd like to bring up, is that they couldn't contain Braden Point. Kucherov was amazing, and Vasi, you weren't going to beat him. 
Those three guys were incredible. Victor Hedman was as well. And it just proved to be too much for the Dallas Stars. I'm, I'm, I know it was simplistic in analysis, but I think it was very true. And there are different ways a team can win series every year. Right now, through two games, in my opinion, this is a three-line team. You can take that however you want it. They go 11-7 and seven. last night. We can get into if that was beneficial, if it's something they're going to stay with. That's all fair. But I feel like there are more questions about this fourth line than last year's. And the fourth line, keep in mind this year, was very solid during the regular season, particularly when Ross Colton got an opportunity to play on that fourth line. Now, he's been elevated because Goodrow is out. And maybe that's just as simple as if and when Goodrow comes back, yeah. Colton goes back to the fourth line, Dave. There you go, Greg. The fourth line is back to being reunited, and Maroon gets into a little bit more rhythm, and maybe Joseph is back there, or maybe it is Tyler Johnson. I don't know. I think that will be the interesting question that the coaching staff will have to make, and it might not happen. I, I just I don't know how long Goodrow's going to be out. Well, Clearly, by the way, let me yeah, ask you, were you surprised that Joseph was the guy pulled out of the lineup in the 11-7? and seven? So you know, He played it, every game during the regular season. Maybe we shouldn't have been. I was, but maybe we shouldn't have, because remember... The conversation and the questions we were asked, if everybody is healthy, who sits? I felt like it should be Tyler Johnson, but I also said, I don't think it's going to happen. And so by, as a result, it, it came down to Colton and Joseph. And this is where you have to be careful, because I think a lot of people looked at Joseph's playing the regular season and said, well, he did too much, and his speed stays pretty much the same every game. And that Ross Colton, because he was a rookie, was going to be the guy who was going to sit. But you and I have discussed, I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can sit Ross Colton. That being said, he's been okay through the first two games. Matthew Joseph, I think it was a bit of a surprise. But it maybe shouldn't have because I just don't think they're going to sit Tyler Johnson. And it looks like they've got faith in Colton. They've obviously elevated him up to the third line. I don't think you do that if you, you don't feel like he's a guy that you can rely on. I Let's put it this way, Dave. I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph is back in the lineup for game three. Who Phil sits? mentioned it's possible Joseph is nicked up a little bit too. And that's very true. If he know. is, then we don't know. And, and, and folks, understand we are dealing with our best guess when it comes to the lineup. And I want to get into the, the seven defensemen as well because there could be some reasons for that moving forward. We're just we're trying to go off of the information that we have. Uh, to answer your question, I was surprised that Joseph sat. I wonder until Goodrow comes back is 11 and 7 more suited to their their personnel at this point? Do they go back to 12 and 6? And was 11-7 and seven more so about maybe one of their defensemen being nicked up and Shen was used as insurance? Yeah, possibly. Or was it a situation where they felt like Florida was getting a little physical and it's nice to have a guy like Luke Shen out there, not only in front of the net, Dave, to clear things out, but if the game did get out of control, if they took some runs at some star players, not that you don't have enough guys to handle their business, but Shen certainly is is willing to send that message. Let's get into that. But to answer your question, I was surprised Joseph was scratched. I think Tampa Bay with Goodrow out is a three-line team at this point. And I, I guess I'm talking out loud and answering my own question. I think they do stay 11-7 and seven because I don't know if they have a fourth line right now they feel comfortable that can play 10-11 minutes consistently. And I think... In that situation, are you best served maybe affording the opportunity to double shift some of your best players on the fourth line if you want to, understanding you're going to get the matchups here that you want, and maybe that's where I am right now with that thinking. Stay 11-7. and seven. I'd rather have Braden Point or Nikita Kucherov maybe playing an extra shift here and there, or somebody else who's feeling it, yeah. rather than go, you know what, let's roll a traditional you know, four lines and let's have six defensemen. 
I just I don't I don't think they're there yet. Let's put it that way with their fourth line with Goodrow being out. I think it's had an effect more so than I thought. But 11 and 7 is one way you can combat that and if that means a few extra shifts for your best players, Dave, I'm okay with that, particularly coming back at Amelie Amelie Arena for two games. Yeah, it's unclear if the Shen move was related to the rough stuff, which was a question that we got from a listener after game one. My hunch is that it it wasn't. Or the Panthers are really getting to the front of the net. Maybe you want Luke Shen for, for that role. But as you had mentioned, he only played four minutes and two seconds. Yeah, so that night. kind of so throws that. a lot. Yeah, it's almost like... I almost think based off of everything that you just said, and I'll let you finish, to me it almost sounded like it was insurance because somebody is nicked up. And maybe that maybe that is the case as well. But, you know, Ruda had the, the second fewest minutes, just over 10. The other five defensemen all played, like, in a, a reasonable range. Like, nobody was exceptionally high, or this would be the question, is anybody else exceptionally low? Savard played 16-38. Chernak was eighteen fifty six, and then Sergachev, McDonough, and Hedman were all over twenty, but they weren't. And that's crazy typically high. how it goes. Yeah, no, and that's typically high. how it goes. Yeah. So we'll see what happens in Game Three if it is like a a protection situation for for another defenseman, then that may continue. It also may have been that you know they wanted to double shift Kucherov point, although Gord was the guy I think who played the most on that line with Maroon. And Johnson. And that line did not play a lot. They didn't. I'm looking yeah. at their ice time. Johnson played 908. Maroon played 651. And I believe the two of them, I forget who the third forward was. I can look at the play by play. They were stuck out there for probably a minute on that shift in the first period. That was the line that was out there when the Panthers had that exceptionally long offensive zone shift that eventually led to an icing against the Lightning. So when you look at their ice time, keep in mind that they had one extraordinarily long shift that was way too long because they got stuck out there in the defensive zone. So that's not usually how John Cooper rolls the lines on 11 and 7. Part of it might have been the the score, too. Like, the other guys were going, and you're up one, and at least in the second half of the game, you're up one, and he liked how the other three lines were, were going in that configuration. So... Again, to be determined what the lineup is going to be for tomorrow, and we'll kind of examine the ice time coming out of Game 3. One point on the Panthers' ice time. So the guy who led Florida in ice time overall was Barkov. He played 26-28, yeah. which is four minutes more than the highest forward on the Lightning, Kucherov, four minutes and change more. And I think for a forward, there is a difference between playing 21-22 minutes a game and 26 and this would be more if the Panthers come back and win the series and have to proceed. And Barkov is a horse. Like, I mean, he is just a machine. And he had a fantastic game last night. There was a reason why he played 26-28. Because Quenville saw everything he was doing and just he kept putting him out there, right? And he never slowed down. But I wonder how sustainable that is over the grind of a, and I will say, a long playoff series. So this probably wouldn't affect the Lightning because either the Lightning are going to win the series and Barkov will be held to seven games or less, or the Panthers will rally and win the series and the Lightning won't be worrying about Barkov. But like that's why winning the Stanley Cup is so tough, right? Like Here it is game two of the playoffs, and Quenville's playing his stud forward yeah, you know, considerably more minutes than probably would be ideal. Now, look, the Lightning and Blue Jackets played five overtimes in game one last year, and everybody had a lot of ice time. But if this is going to be a regular occurrence for Barkov, and maybe if the Panthers get the lead and they're not having to use Barkov as much, his ice time would come down. But I'm curious to see what what the ice time for, for Barkov is moving forward in this series. And if game two was kind of an anomaly – or if Quenville is looking at his lineup and saying, I need number 16 out there, and, and we're going to worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. I think we that's win probably this game tonight. Yeah, Dave, I think that's probably the mindset they have to have. Because I got to tell you right now, something that's starting to creep up a little bit in this series through two games, and again, it's it's hard to, to, to catch patterns here, but it's a little easier to do it after two than one, which, you know, 
after the first playoff game, there's a lot of analysis, and you're you're just going off of one game. It's hard to do. Two's a bit better. You know, the Panthers aren't getting the depth scoring or chances that they they need probably. And you know, we talked about this before with Tampa Bay. What makes them so effective? Their star players are are right now slightly better. I think than the Panthers' star players, understanding that you can make a case Barkov might might be the best forward right now next to Kucherov in terms of what he's been able. To, I mean, he's just the yeah. low. Kucherov has been dominant. really, really. good. He's been so good, and yeah. I, I I don't want to minimize that. Again, the assist to point, and then the Palat goal. I mean, that's that's Kucherov making a play. They didn't have that in the last yeah. two games that everybody wanted. Kucherov to talk has about been extremely physical too. And Which, this is like, great. when you talk about, like, why why has he been so effective? I mean, Kucherov does what he does with the puck and his stick. But it's yes. been noticeable to me how hard he has taken the body on, on Panther defenders. And maybe he's and feeling really good. Away. Maybe. Maybe he's yeah. just feeling really good. And that's that's good. Is it when Kucherov plays with a chip on his shoulder, he there's an edge to his game that you like to see. But bottom line is, too, you know, we talked about this year, the Panthers. One of the differences this year from maybe the other years, Dave, has been their depth scoring. And they're they're a more complete team, and this isn't to to take away the the top two lines who have been you know solid. They're generating scoring opportunities, but let's face it, uh, Patrick Hornquist was brought in to score goals and to be a playoff performer. Yes, he is mixing things up, but we've seen that over the years from him. He's a guy that makes his money living in front of the net and getting a few timely goals to help his team. Achari has been relatively quiet. Vitrano has been relatively quiet. Wenberg, I mean, you know, we don't need to go into his history a little bit this year against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He has been relatively quiet. I know Marchman got the goal yesterday, and I know they scored four in game one. Good for them. But if they're going to prolong this series, they will need a few of those guys to start chipping in a few more times. And so far, at least through two, it from those guys specifically, it hasn't happened. They they may still make this a very competitive series because Barkoff and Huberdeau and Verhage, they're good enough to get theirs. But it's going to take a little bit more of a complete effort, I think, from the Panthers' bottom six to extend this the way they want to if they want to get back into this series. Or they get enough production from their top guys and, and that could happen. And defend yeah, and defend better than they did in game one. Like, right. you know, they could have won game one had they not allowed all those. I mean, woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? I mean, they did. <laughs> but they had some mistakes. They had some bad penalties. They gave up power play goals. But, you know, you often say if you score three in a playoff game, that should be enough to win. They scored four without any production from their bottom six. Because they got their power play goal from Barkov. Yeah. They got the two goals from the Bennett line. And then the other goal came from the Barkov line with Verhage. Verhage and, scored the goal. And Bennett coming back, that's going to be interesting, too. That's going yeah. to give them a boost. He'll probably have a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, sure. he's going to be ready to go. And I think. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there are other ways. Sure. There are a variety of different routes you can take to get to the W. And while I am agreeing with you that the Panthers' formula this year has included depth scoring. That's why Vetrano had 18 goals this year. I mean, Wenberg had a really good year. Now, he, he didn't spend the whole year as the third-line center. But they did get depth scoring this year. That was part of oh, their they formula. Did. That's what I mean. It was it was right. really good this year. But and, and they, the can win, they can win a playoff game without getting production from their bottom six. But what that means is that they are going to have to defend better <laughs> in all likelihood That's or fair. lean even more on their top six. That's fair. They can definitely win a game. They can definitely win two. Um, it kind of goes back to my theme. Yeah, you don't think they can win two. four out of five. I don't. I don't. Not against this. And I, look, I, I, that's a compliment to the Lightning. <laughs> it's not a knock on the Panthers. Yeah. I, you want to talk about champion? Part of being a championship team, Dave, is closing out when you have the opportunity. And one thing I do agree with that I, I can't give credit to this person because I don't know who said it. They were very wise, though, and it's the reason why I'm going to relay it. I think to win a Stanley Cup title especially going back-to-back, you do need a short series. I think it helps tremendously. The Lightning have an opportunity to make this a short series. I know, again, some people out there say, Greg, Greg, this this could go six, this could go seven. It could. Yeah, it could. But the Lightning are up 2 nothing. Let's not minimize that. With an opportunity to have two games on home ice, and again, the very least, you'd go 3-1. It's an, I guess what I'm saying is they've put themselves in a position to make that happen that always doesn't happen in the playoffs. And give credit to the Lightning. 
I think they've been they've been very good at times in this series, and they've made enough plays, and their goaltending has been very, very solid. Let's get to some questions, Dave, before we sign off. Al says, the beauty of rewatching the game is that you see things you miss during the game. I don't think I've ever seen 91 be as physical as he was last night. Also, 79 played a smart game. And what else did he have to say about... Uh, he? I think he feels like uh, 11 and 7, Al, that uh, staying 11 and 7 is what he would do for Thursday. The Lightning yeah. defended hard and played hard. And when you're doing that, you're going to see guys blocking shots, taking the body. The Lightning did really well, and this is kind of feeding off what, what Al was talking about with Stamkos taking the body. I remember one shift late in the third, though. Stamkos got the puck behind the Panthers' net. I think there were three Panthers back there, and he was just, like, checking everybody and, like, chasing the puck. And, like, he kept it down low. That was a really noteworthy shift and helped the puck stay 200 feet away from the Lightning's net. But I thought one area of the Lightning's game last night that was really good, even in that first period when they when they had some problems getting the puck out because the Panthers' forecheck was, was so ferocious, their back pressure was very good last night. And what I mean by back pressure is, like when the Panthers were skating through the neutral zone, there was a forward coming back closing on the puck carrier. And, and making life difficult for that puck carrier. And sometimes it led to a turnover, and the Lightning got the puck back. Sometimes it led to a slowed rush, which was okay too. But pretty consistently throughout the night, it prevented the Panthers from getting looks off the rush. I think when the Panthers had their chances, it was off possession in the offensive zone. I don't remember too many looks the Panthers had where they brought it in and had and had room to make plays. And I think that that is a a compliment to how the Lightning defended through the neutral zone cuz that is a dangerous part of the Panthers attack and we saw it in game 1. I mean think of the Verhage goal. That yeah. was basically off the rush. They brought it in, you know, Verhage to Barkov, back to Verhage, shoots the puck, they get net yeah. front presence, it's in the net. There wasn't a lot of that last night. And I think pretty consistently, really, it's the forwards. When the forwards are doing that, the defense can can gap up a little bit more. But really, I remember, like Pallad, I remember doing it a lot. Like a forward for the Panthers would be skating toward the red line, and Pallad is like beeline to the guy and and shouldering him and and trying to disrupt the play. And sometimes the puck found its way into the lightning zone anyway, but there were a fair number of occasions when it didn't. And that was, that was I thought, an important part of the Lightning's team defense and shows the level of compete. Like, when you are working that hard without the puck, you are really going to help your cause to to limit chances against. And that kind of feeds off of what Al was saying. Yeah, for sure. Bob says, sorry, Greg and Dave. I know you're tired of hearing this. 11-7 and seven worked well, but 9, although experience needs to come out of the lineup, would think he would see how 37 plays and take note, would rather have Mitchell Stevens in the lineup. I don't think we're going to see Stevens in the lineup. Well, if the Lightning stay with 11-7 and seven and they want to take Johnson out, then Joseph, I'm presuming, would come back Would be in. the guy in. Unless yeah. he is injured. No doubt. Uh, Alex Selivanov, to that point, says, I could use a dose of foot personally over Ruta, but don't mess with winning. Yeah, that's a hard one because, you know, Ruta, he got blown up early in the game. Um, this is this is the thing people have to understand, too, when it comes to the back end. I don't know how much it's going to matter beyond the top five for the Lightning. And they can kind of hide Ruta and Shen, you know, especially if they go 7-D, Dave. But if they go 6, you're going to play. I mean, we looked at the ice time. It wasn't a ton of ice time that the top five played, but especially if the games really are, are getting close and it's you know a six- or seven-game series, you're just going to see a lot of Hedman, McDonough, Chernak, Sergachev, and Savard. I, I just think that's how it's going to be, and you're not going to see a ton yeah. of whoever that sixth defenseman is or the sixth and seventh defenseman. Uh, to, to Alex's point about foot, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like they kind of made their decision that Shen's going to be that next guy up and that Foot is probably behind Shen. Do I want to see Foot get playoff experience this year? I, I think in a perfect world you would, but not at the expense of maybe having some turnovers and and maybe not playing as well as you'd like. Although, look, he's got to start somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if they're in a position yet to just throw Foot in there. I think but they I understand other guys, other guys with more postseason experience ahead of him right now. Yeah, and that's what it's about. It it's is. It's about the experience. So I think they probably stay with it. I think they hope Ruta gets better. You know, don't forget too. This is a guy that missed some time and is trying to work his way back too in shape. And he's being thrown into the the most intense time of the year. Not everybody's Nikita Kucherov where. You come back and you're looking pretty good. I mean, Ruta plays a different yeah. position. It doesn't have the same skill set, obviously. But I think there are ways, Dave, you can kind of mask him a bit. And that's probably not playing him more than 12, 14 minutes, assuming he's he's playing well even to that point. But I would agree that, that they're probably going to go 11-7. and seven. I guess Quenville said today, Dave, looks like they're going to go 12-6. and six. That's Yeah, well, they're getting Bennett with back. Bennett back. Yeah. yeah, I think the question becomes, who do they have in net? Um, I would be surprised, and we talked about this at the beginning of the show, if if Drieger's not that guy. Yeah, Drieger, so Drieger played okay last night. Was he better but, than Bobrovsky, you know, game one? But I don't, he, Bobrovsky I don't know. had to deal with a lot more than Drieger he did. did. He that's, did. So that's the part of this, going back to the, the first segment, the Lightning didn't make the game as hard on Drieger as they could have because they passed out of a lot of odd man rushes. And then the second and third, they just didn't have a lot of pressure. Part of that was the score. Part of that was just, like, the Lightning did not execute particularly well for a good part of the the middle part of the game with the puck moving through the neutral zone. They were okay getting the puck out of their own end after the first period, but, like, they were not executing plays to get it in and have some sustained offensive zone shifts of their own. So that Drieger had a fairly quiet night. Even that first period where he faced 16 shots, again, outside of the odd man rush goals, and he made a really good save on Yanni Gord. And then Sorelli had the one in addition to the crossbar. So there were there were some there. But I think a lot of those other 16 shots were, were fairly routine for him. And then he didn't see a lot of activity in the second and the third. So, you know, based on his performance... Whatever prompted Quenville to put him in for game two, he didn't show you anything last night that would make you say, yeah, we definitely need to to pull him out, right? But I also think that it's almost, there were some unanswered questions last night because the Lightning didn't make him work as much as they could have. But it's not Drieger's fault. Like, he he can only stop the shots that come his way. Yeah, what's And he about- really had no chance. I mean, the point shot that led to the rebound for Palat that is a world-class shot that most goalies are going to have a hard time. Unless, like, Franjan might come to us and and say, you know what, Drieger could have done this before the shot was taken by point to cut down his angle. I, mean, I just don't know enough about goaltending in the position and how you need to play a rush like that. That's a world-class shot from point, and then Drieger is trying to recover when Palat scores the goal. But, you know, you can't really blame him for that, nor can you blame him for the 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 strawman play where it bounces off his defenseman and ends up going in his net. So I'm inclined to agree with you, Greg, that based on what we saw last night, it would seem that Quenville would be inclined to, to put Drieger back in the net. Unless he just, the plan was always to come back with Sergei Bobrovsky. So what's interesting about that, Dave, and I agree with you, is that, Joel Quenville now, through two games, has used two different goaltenders, and neither one of them has played poorly. And I think that's going to be interesting, because typically if you change goaltenders, maybe the starter 1A hasn't played particularly well. You go for a, a bit of a boost in starter 1B. Yeah, How about maybe the that's Islanders, how though? They made a goalie uh, switch after a win. Well, and you know what? The, the funny thing about that was, and we talked about that, I mean, Varlamov was really, really good in that game except for the Brian Ruskell, <laughs> yeah. which he just kind of fluttered on. And, you know, Varlamov. And they lose by one. And they do lose by one, and Pittsburgh now is back in that series. And uh, you go down 0-2, I don't care who you are, very tough hill to climb. It will be interesting to see who's in net tomorrow, but we'll talk about it a, a bit more 
as well as we get set 12 to 1 uh, for game three. Remember, that's a 6.30 game, and we'll be on the airwaves with the uh, the pregame skate show at 5.30, but make sure you catch Mission Eye noon to 1. And Dave, I think we're going to be airing the game two win at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock, and Power Lunch will be in between at 6 p.m. This afternoon. Yes, so make sure you check into that out. Yes, into the evening. And uh, that'll be good for you. And anytime you can listen to a win, it's always uh, a lot of fun. All right, partner. Great job as always. We'll do it again tomorrow at noon. Yep. Talk to you then. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linelli. Thanks to Steve Versnick. And thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. We'll be with you again tomorrow on a game day on Lightning Power Play.